0: This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria.
1: Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk on this, the fourth Sunday of February. It's uh, February 28th, 2016. It would be the last day of the month, but this is leap year, so tomorrow is the last day of the month. We're on at five PM in the New York Listing area and three PM in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices and we're going to be discussing off grid technology with our guest Sky Huddleston. Hmm. I'm Tom Dioria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first time listener and our First segment, Tech Talk, provides you with a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with the increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we followed us with an industry wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk. That's T E C H T A L K. And I M I D S U S dot com. We'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after the uh, show introduction, please give us a call, send an email, question with uh, on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call two seven seven K F N X. That's two seven seven five three six nine. And if you're outside the six zero two listening area, call us toll free at one eight six six five three six eleven hundred. You can send your email uh, suggestions to techtalk at imi-us.com. We monitor that throughout the show. we we'll try and get your question on today. If we can't, well, we'll definitely send you a response and try and get you on next week. And uh, we're also being simulcast on the web so if you want to uh, listen to us live and you're not at your radio, you can go to KFNX's website. That's 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. the upper right-hand corner is the TikTok button. Click on that. All the shows are archived. You can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so please take advantage of that, and please go on anytime during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible for a segment. segment so we can review it's our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world compiled by Dan Deoria, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista. Okay, we've got a lot of stuff to tell you about. Uh, first of all, we just wanted to remind you that last Friday, the 26th, um, we got a note here from the National September 11 Memorial. It was the 23rd anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center uh, on February 26, 1993. Um, and they wanted to h- help them in honoring John Diovanni, Robert Kirkpatrick, S- Stephen Knapp, William Macko, and Wilfred Mercado and Monica Rodriguez Smith. Um, they had a moment of silence at 12:18 p.m. when the attack occurred, and those names are permanently inscribed in the memorial uh, as they died during that attack. So. We send our prayers out to their families. Cranes tells us that by the end of this year, New Yorkers with cars will have one less headache. They won't have to race to a parking meter to avoid a ticket as the allotted time expires. Thanks to technology that begins rolling out this summer, New New Yorkers will be able to pay for parking by clicking on an app on their smartphones. Drivers also will be able to add time to the meter via phone and be credited for unused paid time. The city's 85,000 meters across the five boroughs will be accessible via the app, the pay by cell technology, which Mayor build de Blasio herald an announcement recently also could make parking easier and alleviate traffic in coming years. We've heard this uh, was going to happen before, so hopefully it'll actually happen this time. Some cities uh, that have had digitized parking are raising money by introducing different meter rates for residents and tourists. Other cities have found that dynamic pricing, raising rates at peak usage periods and lowering them at slow times can help reduce congestion by encouraging use of mass transit. Parkmobile is an Atlanta-based parking giant that is providing the technology for New York City. The company implements municipal parking technology in cities across the country including Los Angeles, Houston, Atlanta, it also has private parking app, Park Now, that enables drivers to reserve spots in garages. Okay. Wall Street Journal tells us that the Rainbow Bagel may be the new croissant, complete with copycats. The colored baked goods pioneered by bagel store in Brooklyn gave have gone viral thanks to a flood of social media and word of mouth. The exposure was so much that the store temporarily closed its doors in Williamsburg, that's in Brooklyn, saying it couldn't keep pace with the unprecedented demand. The shop reopened this week and plans to produce as many as a 1,000 rainbow bagels a day, but there are already other bagel makers making inroads in Brooklyn's Borum Hill, Smith Street Bagels began offering multicolored bagels last weekend and said it is selling about 150 it makes each day. Store manager Barb Killen said that uh, he hears about something that's good. He tries creating his own version. Okay, let's see. Fusion tells us that in a pair of letters sent to state legislators and Airbnb users in New York. Airbnb admitted that it purged more than a 1,000 New York City listings from the site before publicly releasing data to regulators as part of a push to publicize corporate transparency. The data culling made it appear as though there were few professional hosts with multiple listings using the site to make a living off of illegal short-term rentals. In other words, Airbnb removed the data from its hundreds of very listings that were subject to the regulatory concern, not exactly transparency standard definition. The data cleanse uh, was an effort to remove listings that appeared to be controlled by commercial operators and did not affect their vision for our community. So take that for what you will. Fortune tells us that, uh, make no mistake, who Microsoft sides with in the case of Apple versus the FBI. Microsoft presen- President and Chief Officer Brad Smith said at a congressional hearing that is the company's whole lot supports Apple's refusal to assist the FBI in locking a terrorist. So we're going to add them to our bad list. Uh, the Redmond, Washington uh, based. Computing giant runs a number of companies and businesses that have shown support for Apple's objective to helping law firms break into an iPhone, with one of its shooters, one of the San Bernardino shooters. Top tech executives such as Google's Sundar Pichai and face owners WhatsApp's Jan Cohen have made public statements in favor of Apple's CEO. Of course, they're all from California. This is an editorial on my part. Smith's last statements came at a hearing over cross-border data transfers. Apple recently backed Microsoft in its legal battle over the since-replaced safe harbor rules that govern transatlantic transfers. Now Microsoft appears to be returning the favor. PCOL tells us that last year Google introduced a voice typing feature for the desktop web version of Google Docs that allowed users to dictate their documents. It's now getting upgraded to let people control formatting with voice commands as well. That's pretty cool. Using voice commands, people can select and format text all without having to touch the keyboard. This is a great news for people who already use the feature to transcribe their words. Google says the accuracy is improving by the work is already done with voice recognition and other applications. Now that same technology is making it possible to do things like align text and even remove formatting altogether. And I don't know we you'd want to do that. Right now, the feature is only available through Google Docs, when using Google's Chrome browser on the desktop, but looking to the future, this feature could be a major boost to docs editing capabilities on mobile. One of the biggest issues with writing a long document on a mobile device is that the keyboards and smartphones and tablets are usually awkward for extended use. Really? Right now, people can use the system's keyboards on iOS and Android to do dictation, but they don't have support for their voice commands. What's more, This feature has implications for accessibility in Google Docs, so we'll see where that goes. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest. We're going to talk to you about off-grid technology. I'm Tom Dioria. This is IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, February 28, 2016, in this leap year. Uh, Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's Sunday, February 28, 2016. And as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to be discussing off-grid technology. Our guest is Sky Huddleston, who is the co-owner of Liberator LLC, manufacturer and designer of the first and only NRTL listed to UL 1482 rocket heater wood stove good experience in gasification technology to run internal combustion engines. Mr. Huddleston attended North County Tech for mechanical drafting, architectural design, and geospatial engineering, and has also done work with passive solar energy and DIY wind power. Sky, thanks for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it.
0: Uh, Thank you for having me on. I appreciate that as well. So uh, before we get into uh, the detail here, uh, for our
1: listeners that may not understand what the title of the show is, what's off
0: grid and what's on grid? Well, off grid simply means that you're not tied into grid power. Grid power, grid power is the electrical lines that supply most people with their energy for their homes and businesses. And off-grid means that you have your own means of power production independent of or separate and or separate from the grid. So explain to us a
1: little bit about uh, some of the science behind energy.
0: Well, energy is well, energy locked away, and so there's only a finite amount of it. And so this thing called the conservation of energy And so, what everybody needs to really understand is that energy can come from a lot of different sources in a lot of different ways. And so, when you unlock those energy sources, you have to find them, find the best ways to utilize them. So, for example, if you have a source of heat, a direct source of heat, you can run it through an external engine, an external heat engine, like a steam engine or a Stirling engine. And you could use that to make mechanical energy, and then you could transfer that to turn the mechanical into electrical energy or do mechanical work directly. Or you can use the heat energy directly to, say, heat to space. So, so the scientific principles behind energy is every time you transfer energy from one source to another, so every time you, say, transfer from a mechanical source to an electrical source and back, you're going to take some losses there. So You've got to so bear that in mind with everything. But tell us
1: how you got involved in this.
0: Um, was this a passion of yours from from the beginning? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've had several mentors over the years, and I've always been interested in science and energy. And uh, when I was 16 years old, my father and I built a gas fire, and then a friend of ours had a, had us build him a core tire that he was going to put on his truck, and we did that as well. So. So. Tell us your philosophy of designing off-grid systems.
1: Um,
0: the thing is with energy, the there's a very, very uh, open approach. So people look at energy and they only look at the face of it. But you really have to look at it holistically. So like the waste of one system is what you want in another. For example, if you're heating your house or business or structure with electric heat in the wintertime, an incandescent light bulb is just as efficient as any other light bulb. And is and cheaper and less toxic. If, and I'll tell you why. Because the waste heat of an incandescent light bulb is what you're using to run the coils in your electric furnace anyway. So you might as well save the money and use incandescents in the winter. Oh, That's pretty interesting. Right. And, and that's just one of many examples. But you have to really look at things holistically and go, well, the waste heat of uh, the waste of some systems are really negligible. And, by the, and can act as a feedstock for others, that's what they do with combined heat and power plants. They'll take the waste heat of one system to use it as a feedstock for the other. So say a combined heat and power plant has a little bit of waste heat, but it's not hot enough to really produce energy from it, Well, they can use that waste heat to cool the area that they're the power plant.
1: Oh, so that's pretty interesting. Um, there seem to be a lot of factors in here. Um, I think part of the uh, rocket heater is energy production? Is it also conservation? Is
0: there a, is there a fine line there well, yeah, or it, do they overlap? It, 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 energy production just means uh, means un- you're unlocking potential energy that's stored away in whatever your product is. It uh, a hunk of cordwood or a uranium-233 fuel pellet and once you unlock that energy, that's you're your cre- you're creating energy in a way you're you're unlocking its potential, and then you have to find ways to best utilize that energy in the most efficient. Way. So that's really the difference there, because, because uh, energy conservation, like I said, just means you're saving the energy that you're producing, using it more efficiently.
1: Okay, so if if we are producing efficient energy. Uh, how do we get off the grid to heat and cool a house? In other words, right now I'm getting. It, it depends
0: uh, on your geography. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. This phone has a this phone has a serious delay. I apologize, but it depends on your geography. So if you're say like in Arizona, you might want to look into passive solar systems. Passive solar, especially a, you know, for higher heat areas, you can utilize a thermal mass in your household. Uh, and make your house out of, say, like the natives and the ancients used adobe. And so when the sun was up, that thermal mass that their house was made of, their cob and adobe, would absorb the heat and then release that during the night when it was cooler, and so things would stabilize. In a colder area, uh, you might look at other options. Passive solar might come in the form of skylights or you know, or solar heaters. You know, so a lot of people talk about solar energy. They immediately think of photovoltaics. Well, I mean, solar energy just means sunlight, and you can use sunlight for whatever purposes. You can use it, like I said, in skylights to give you cheap and free excess lighting, which is very good, and I highly recommend that because it is extremely affordable. Or you can use it as a passive heater, which there are different ways to build passive heaters. One method that I like is taking large uh, black aluminum window screens and building a double pane face on on top of it and then behind that insulating it and running air through it and using a convective currents to passively heat your structure. Sounds uh, complicated and expensive. Not really. The materials is not expensive at all to build a passive solar heater. Like I said, it's just a wooden framed box with insulation on one side and two panes of, of glass. You can use single panes, too. you just be more efficient to use two panes to capture more heat. And then you... Uh, have an inlet and an outlet port on the top and bottom of your passive heater, and you can either blow through, blow air through it with a fan, so you have a forced air system, or if it's if it's self facing enough and heats up enough, you can have you, the heat alone will run its own thermal cycle and uh, it'll undergo convective by control. Now, Sky, the example you gave was
1: being in, in Arizona. Uh, what about if I'm in Alaska? What's the
0: how can can I be off the grid there? Uh, yeah, you can. You can. You'll just need more energy to heat a structure. Um, you now, I, I coincidentally I do own a, a wooden pellet stove manufacturing firm, which fuel pellets are coming into their own now. But I won't get into that now. So the bio, biomass is a really good source of energy because it's very energy dense and it's very uh, uh, convenient. It's very convenient. So you can use biomass, and you can cease using it as the flick of a switch, essentially. I mean, compared to solar, which is unpredictable, or wind, which is also unpredictable. So if you're in a very cold area, I would recommend heating your structure with wood, but if you actually want to go off-grid, there are other ways that you can utilize biomass to produce energy. Like I said, I built gasifiers. Uh, I don't know if the people on your... I kind of doubt that they're familiar with gasification, but this is what, what deals in pyrolysis. So you can use biomass or coal or charcoal, whatever, any, basically anything that burns, and you pyrolyze the material to form off-gasses. You know how uh, if you have a campfire, if you uh, smolder, it, it'll smoke. All a gasifier does is it takes that... It... Yes? Okay. Okay, all a gasifier does is that it takes the... Uh, it, it burns the stock in a low-oxygen-controlled environment and it smolders it in such a manner that the smoke is so dense and so concentrated that it can be funneled into the engine and mixed with air and burned, so it becomes flammable. You're, you're making producer gas or syngas, which is a, a synthetic form of natural gas, in a way. I mean, it's, it's used similarly. Of course, it's made up of different products such as methane, hydrogen, and carbon monoxide. So is this and something you put in your generator. that uh, your
1: rocket heater does, or is this something that people can do on their own? What's, what's
0: necessary to do this? Gasification uh there's a bunch of different ways to do it, so this is something that people can do on their own if, if there's a really easy project called a cross draft gas fire, but you need to use coal or charcoal in it because it's a much superior fuel than biomass.
1: Hi right, sky are you there yeah, yeah, I'm here okay um. So we're going to take we're going to take a break now. I'd like to come back and and talk about some of the other um, cost elements of this to find out uh, your opinion on how uh, not only effective is it, but how competitive is it with what what people are getting today, especially as uh, the price of oil uh, is coming down, whether or not that makes a uh, major difference or not. This is Tom DiOria on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, February 28, 2016. We're talking to Sky Huddleston about off-grid technology. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these minutes. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria. It's February 28, 2016. And our guest today is Sky Huddleston, and we're talking about off grid technology. And in the introduction, I mentioned that uh, Sky is the co owner of Liberator LLC, the manufacturer and designer of the first and only NRTL listed uh, rocket heater. So maybe uh, before we get into um, the efficiency and cost savings, tell us a little bit about the history of what a rocket heater is for our listeners that don't understand that, and then maybe we can get
0: into uh, a little bit more about what that technology does. A Rocky heater is, to put it in the most basic way that I can, is a wood stove, uh, or pellet stove in our case, that has an extremely small firebox with a very large heat exchanger, and the internal riser chimney is geometrically shaped so in a way that it maximizes the thermodynamic heat transfer of all the combustion products, and it burns at a very rapidly accelerated rate. So it has all the oxygen that it needs to burn up all volatile organic compounds with as much CO as practically possible. They were originally designed as masonry heaters by permaculturalists in the early 2000s. Due to their low run times, they coupled it with thermal mass, such as cob and Adobe, and the thermal mass would then release heat over time. Of course, this is not a practical way of installing a wood or biomass heater for a lot of people, so we've developed pellet hoppers that allow fuel pellets to be used in this heater. Now, tell us a little
1: bit about uh, does, is the name significant, rocket heater, or that's just something that's uh,
0: historical? Uh, that, it is significant because the way that it was designed, it has very high airflow given given its volume. So when it's running, it creates a, a very a very slight and subtle whooshiness like a, like a rocket taking off, which is why they call it a rocket, or it also lights up very quickly and gets up to temperature very fast. So I guess you could dedu- deduce the name from that aspect of it as well, but it is a more, you know, it does have roots to the name, purpose, and meaning. Now, what's the significance
1: of it being nationally recognized testing lab, UL? Um, what's it, the,
0: it'll... It allows you to install this heater into any structure that you have that's insured or your house, and it complies with local building codes, which most people live in an area that have building codes, and even those who don't, they have a mortgage, and most mortgages have terms that they have to purchase insurance and demand that wood heaters be uh, tested for safety and listed. Are there different models, or are they all the same? (laughs) At this time, no, there's only one model, but like I said, we have drop-in accessories that give you more versatility. One of them is an outside air intake, which allows you to uh, pull in uh, air from outside the structure for combustion, which in houses that are extremely airtight, and if you want to save on efficiency, that'll definitely do that, because in a conventional wood stove, it pulls in air from the room, but then because you're having a negative pressure differential there, the air has to make up for itself, otherwise... Well, at some point it put it, your house would implode, even though it wouldn't. But it would make the draft very, it would hamper the draft, and it would suck in colder from the outside, so it makes it more drafty. So when you hear people talk about how fireplaces make the other end of their house colder, that's because it's sucking in air from cum- cumulatively through all the gaps and cracks of your structure. And when will uh, Liberator start, start selling these? We're, right now, we, we're selling them right now, but we're only we're going to introduce the pellet hopper and outside air intake, which are drop-in accessories that bolt in very easily uh, with four set screws, and so it can be installed yourself. You just install the rocket heater, follow the owner's manual, install it, and then drop in the pellet hopper and outside air intake, and now you can burn pellets as well. So we're selling the rocket heaters now, and we'll be introducing the pellet hoppers within a couple weeks. And I'm going to install it myself. You can install it yourself, or you can hire a professional. Um, I re- if you have the budget, I recommend hiring a professional. Uh, I mean, we we always installed our heaters ourselves, but you know we have the skill to do it. A lot of people don't. Now, what type of person am I looking? What type of person am I looking to install it? A plumber? Well, no, no, no. You you want a a hearth and a chimney expert, someone more more adept to HVAC, but it's, it's a little more specialized. Okay, and when I Uh, I would would call the I would call the HPBE. They have a list of all trained professionals. Okay. Most of them. And when I uh, fuel it with the pellets, how long does it usually run before I have to refuel? Over 10 hours, which is phenomenal for a rocket heater, which is used to run times less than 30 minutes. That's pretty impressive. Where do you make these? We manufacture them in the United States with all U.S.-based materials. That's so, hey, while we're on the topic of while we're, to- we're on the topic of installation, you can uh, if someone's interested in, in the technicalities of installing, that they can download our owner's manuals as a PDF on our website at www. Oh, terrific! So I don't have to buy it. I can look first to see how complicated it is. Yeah, yeah, it's not a terribly complicated install. Um, it installs like you like most other chimneys would. You know, chimneys. Uh, you can in so I you could install it in an existing
1: uh, chimney near a fireplace, or do I need a special place?
0: No, no. You can, if you have an existing chimney, you can definitely install it in a masonry chimney. That's actually a lot easier. They have uh, stainless steel flue liners for a couple hundred bucks that you can put up there, which increases safety tremendously and increases the, the efficiency of your draft. So, yeah, you can definitely install it through uh, an existing masonry chimney. There are even ways that you can do it without using a stainless steel flue liner that I go over in my manual. Is it expensive? Uh, It's not really an extension. It's just a
1: liner. No, no. I mean, is the uh, rocket heater expensive? Uh,
0: Is is it an extension? Yeah. yeah. Oh, expensive. expensive. What's the cost? Oh, the expense. Okay, the expense is $1,500. Okay. okay. $1,500. So, Pella- so if I decide
1: I can't install it, it's 1500 plus. Okay. And and you mentioned that uh, you have a pellet company that I could use for fuel.
0: Um, is that a relatively inexpensive what? fuel? Fuel pellets vary in price. So like in my region, they're about $5 a bag. But in a lot of areas like Wisconsin, they're less than $2 a bag. And a bag weighs 40 pounds, and you get them by the, by the, t- by the ton, 2,000-pound pallets, or individual bags. So fuel pellets are very inexpensive in a lot of places in the country, particularly areas with a lot of waste biomass that they compress in those. Pallets burn extremely efficiently and very cleanly. When rods burn, you can't even tell that they're running. There's no... no opacity at all no smoke you can't even tell that it's running so they're that clean and efficient with rocket heaters like i said the exhaust is very cool usually under 220 degrees fahrenheit at all times and most wood stoves have an exhaust in excess of 800 degrees so we're really all the potential heat out of the fuel so sky if i were to get one of these i would
1: uh basically be off the grid in terms of buying uh
0: heat from uh, either an oil company or an electric company? You would definitely be using a much cheaper source of fuel. And rocket heaters, like I said, ours, you can take off the pellet hopper and you can burn wood sticks, branches, and twigs, little blocks, offcuts, waste two-by-fours, pretty much anything that is wood. And you can burn it all in there. And so now you're burning what other people just throw away like yard waste. So now you have a free fuel source. But the problem with doing that is our fuel feed tube will only last up to an hour and a half at the very longest. But, you know, if you say, oh, I want to put in pause for the night and then during the day while I'm watching TV or whatever, it shouldn't be too much of an issue, I wouldn't think, to get up every hour and a half and throw a few more blocks in. Okay, and and what's the cost saving relative to other fuel sources? Uh, The cost savings for... uh, well, free fuel is free. <laughs> for power, like I said, depends on your area. But natural gas will always be cheaper in most areas than even fuel pulse. But if you don't have natural gas available, fuel pulse will be cheaper than virtually any other alternative in most areas, and significantly so okay. cheaper at that. If you're like using fuel oil, you're going to pay for it. the rock heater is going to pay for itself in a couple of years, if not less time than that. And then after that, it's all savings.
1: Okay, well, it seems like that. If it only costs me $1,500 and I'm using the existing uh, uh, ductwork in the house, I guess, um, is that is that – I guess I have a naive question for you, and we've got about a minute left in this segment. Um, does the heat get around the house just by coming out of the rocket heater, or do I need to hook it up to my forced air system?
0: No, you don't need to hook it up to a four-star system. It's like a conventional uh, wood stall. The heat is a radiative heat, so it's a lot more efficient. So instead of uh, – it, it heats more things up like you radiatively and a little bit of the air. But it is a more efficient heat in that regard because the radiant heat is more directive. But if you have, a, like, a house that's under 2,000 square feet, it's going to heat it with heat. You know, But you might have to run a few room fans if you have a lot of walls to give – round, but other than that, it should heat your house just fine. We don't have a hot fire than 2,500 square feet anyway, in my experience. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, give our listeners that website again. Uh, www.rocketheater.com
1: uh, Great. This is Tom Diora on IMI's Tech Talk with Sky Huddleston talking about off-grid technology 20th, February 2016. We'll be right back here for any minute. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk. I'm KFNXAM1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 28th of February 2016. And uh, we're talking to Sky Huddleston about off grid technology. And we're talking about the Liberator rocket heater. Um, Sky, how many of these do you have out in the field now?
0: Well, right now we've only sold a, a few here and there preliminarily. So, because we're at a pretty low production volume ratio. And we're really just testing out the market, right, how people like it and what customers think. But so we're going to be introducing it really en masse very soon, within a couple of weeks, like I said, with the optional power hopper installed and everything, everything as an accessory that you buy separately. So if i wonder it, how long will it take me to get one? It normally only takes you less, less than a week. We go through a freight shipping, which is, I mean, unfortunately, freight shipping is very expensive. It's not like UPS. So, and that cost is, unfortunately something the customer will have to incur. But that's just more than the cost of buying the heater, but it should take less it shouldn't take less than a week. Or shouldn't shouldn't take more than a week. Now um, we were and talking we about have the, some in stock so. Yeah, we were talking about the
1: uh, competitiveness uh, and and the cost savings and you mentioned that uh, the return on investment uh, would be relatively
0: quick. Is that uh, a year, two years, 10 years? Uh, Well, again, it depends on on your source of your previous fuel. So if you're using electric heat, it's gonna be very quick. If you're using propane, it's gonna be a little bit slower to pay back for itself, and so on and so forth. So it really depends on the cost of the current fuel that you're using. Like fuel oil, you're gonna have a, a very, very quick return on investment, less than two years, easy. That's great. Areas, Again, it depends on the price of fuel oil. Yeah, that's great. Well, since we're talking about off-grid technology, can you tell us from your
1: experience uh, what are some of the more obscure systems that we don't hear about a
0: lot? Well, just like I said, is a passive solar. That's pretty obscure, and it's so easy. It's very cheap to install. And then other obscure systems, people just avoid because they just don't know a lot about it, like steam or sterling power. Uh, gasification, that's a system that people avoid, and I'm a big fan of gasifiers. Uh, people avoid methane digestion. So, if you're, a, if you're living off grid and you have pigs, you can build small scale methane biodigesters as a uh, form to replace natural gas uh, in a lot of applications, especially for the household, not for heating, but for if you have a natural gas stove and you don't have natural gas in your area, but you raise pigs. For uh, meat production, you can have a, a small scale methane biodigester where you put in their waste their their feces and then it uh, the my anaerobes, anaerobes will break down the feces into methane and the methane is almost identically into natural gas oh, that's that's yeah, very interesting um yeah, and you can build methane biodigesters with nothing more than like say like i b c toast uniceils and p v c for a little bit larger of a small-scale system. And the small-scale system is two plastic 55-gallon drums inverted on each other with a nozzle on the top that you then attach a hose, and then you route that hose to your uh, stove or whatever, and then you can pressurize it by setting weights on top of that barrel that's inverted on, on, over the other one. Got a lot of people that's find something out that people, it. you know, just... Yeah, I was just saying, have, yeah, I, mean, I would recommend just going online.
1: Okay, so Googling... Do uh, yeah. uh, you have any experience with...
0: Yeah, uh... you know, that's the thing. They're... Go on. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, just saying, that's one of the things about re- renewable energy as a whole and off-grid technology is that there's just so much uh, out there that, you know, it's like kind of like, oh, well, give me the index of the encyclopedia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what I'm trying to do here. Uh, and it's just, there's a lot to it, like you know, I've seen, I have a few friends of mine that they built a, a 55-gallon drum vault, which is a vertical axis wind turbine, and they did the mathematics on them. They did, well, yeah, the vault's only 3% efficient, but I'm taking these old plastic drums with less than piece on Craigslist in our area, and he did the math, and the, the amount of wind that he's capturing by splitting a drum vertically down the middle and offsetting it on a centralized shaft with the generator head at the bottom, he goes, Well, heck, I'm capturing a lot more wind for the money, you know, surface area of wind, than a conventional horizontal axis turbine with the blade. And he's like, It costs me 60 bucks to set up this whole thing, and I'm getting about 150 watts at peak uh, when it's a windy day out. I'm like, Yeah, you know, 150 watts, well, it's like two and a half light bulbs. Well, you know, was 60 watt, old oh, 60 watt light bulbs. It's like, well, you know what? You can't argue. The whole system will cost sixty bucks to make. Well, that raises an interesting, an interesting question. Where,
1: where? Um, I guess it's very subjective as to. I mean, this is a good, a good example as to where the efficiencies stop and the savings or the uh, off the grid begins.
0: I guess. Exactly. Yes. And so if you're going to go totally off-grid, you're going to have to have, you know, it depends on what you want. If you're going to live, I know tiny houses are popular now. I'm kind of fond of them myself. So if you have a tiny house with low energy demands, you could probably get away entirely with a few volts and and a little bit of photovoltaics. Or if you want to think beyond, have higher energy capacity demands, you're going to need to look into internal or external combustion. So if you want to do something like steam power, I recommend uh, Mike Brown's website, uh, which is mikebrownsolutions.com. He's another Missourian, but he specializes in steam. And I, if you want to look at a steam power, that really gives you a lot of options because what you can do, a lot of people who live in rural areas, well, they just burn their trash. Well, if you have an external combustion engine, it can use any heat source without detriment. So you can now have that trash that people are literally burning in a burn barrel and wasting all that heat. Now you can use that in your... Uh, external combustion generator, which is a steam engine hooked up to a generator head. Uh, if you have gasifiers, like I went over the other day, if you have a, a charcoal maker, which there are a plethora of means of making charcoal that can be found just through a simple Google search, you can now take the waste, you know, brush piles that people would normally throw away, you can make that into char, and then you can use that char in very simple gasifiers, and gasifiers, like char gasifiers, can literally be made with a one-gallon metal container, and two vacuum cleaner hoses and four ball valves. And that's really all there is to that. <laughs> so and, what do I
1: go- Google? I mean, I, assuming I know nothing about any of this and I want to go off the grid, where do I start? It sounds like it's, there are so many options and so many different ways and there are cheap budget items that I could try out and stuff uh, but if I don't
0: know anything about it, but I know I want to do something, what do I Google? Well, if someone's just looking to get into something, like I said, two easy projects would be passive solar uh, or just installing skylights. I mean, installing skylights is going to help you tremendously there. And if you're like, oh, I want to install big, expensive photovoltaics, I'm like, why not just install skylights and then... During the daylight, you don't ever have to even turn on the lights in your house. That's a simple solution, you know. And that's, that's really really easy to do. Other thing one can do, like I said, passive solar earlier or, or DIY wind. They can look into that if they want to. You know, just experiment here and there to get you know. But if they want down the road, but by, by the time they they're getting to the point where they want to do gas fires and go completely off grid. They're going to have experience and, and knowing what what to look for, um, but if you if you want to go completely off grid, you're going to need more. I mean, you're going to need more than just solar and wind. You're, you know, solar and wind, solar and wind are budget busters, and that's one of the bad things. Uh, unless you have like the 55 gallon vault, so I I always recommend gasifiers because like I said, biomass and gasification, extremely dense system, and you can take generators that are off the shelf and modify them to run it, if you know what you're doing.
1: Sky, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. If our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Uh, like so I have my email and my phone number at www.rocketheater.com, uh, so they can, if they have any questions regarding any specific situation, if they want to approach, a lot of people really get overwhelmed. I'm like, you got to narrow it down to what you want to do and how you want to do it. And if they have any questions, they can feel free to contact me at my website or via the contact information on my website. Great. Thanks again, Sky. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you very much. I want to thank,
1: I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, vice president, Dave Brandon Dandyoria, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Ruggiero is our producer. Tessa N. is our associate producer. And Matt means our executive producer, and uh, thank you to the production department of KFNX AM 1100. Otherwise, you wouldn't have heard a word we said. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to Talk at imi-us.com. Enjoy uh, tomorrow, the 29th of February. We won't have another one of those for uh, four years. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.